Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of our podcast of studying abroad with 11IB from the IB generation of 2020. My name is Roy, and in this episode, I am again accompanied by my co-host, Alexandra Serrano. Hi. Mariana Solis. Hi. And Maria Luisa Segares. Hi. In this episode, we're going to focus on the different applications, like forms and things that you need to fill out. Specifically, we're going to focus on the common applications, since that is the more popular one and the one we all used. And also, we're going to talk a little bit about the financial aid applications you need to do for each university, specifically about the CSS profile, that's the one that we all used. So we're going to give you tips and tricks about every one of these forms that you need to fill out, because yeah, you need testing, yeah, you need to write your essays, but at the end of the day, the thing that is going to take you to the admission officer's desk is your application. So you need to know really well how to use the common application. And also, if you're asking for financial aid, you also need to know very, very well what they are asking in the CSS profile and also the supplements. But we're going to talk about all of those different topics, starting with the common app, maybe Matcha. Why don't you tell us a little bit in general what the common app is? Yes, so the Common App is a platform where you can fill out a form that you can send to each, everyone, or at least almost everyone of your schools. So there are many schools that do not accept the Common App. For example, I know MIT does not accept the Common App, and other schools in other countries, such as Canada, do not accept the Common App. And but there are most schools in the U.S. and other and schools in Spain and other countries do accept, accept the Common App. So it's a lot easier because you can just fill out one application with all of your information, and this is the same application you will send to many uh, to all of your schools. So the Common App will have two main sections. The first part is the Common App section, which is the application that will be sent to each one of your schools. So here you will fill out information about your education, where you studied, which courses you took. You will fill out information about the activities you were a part of, or here is where you are going to add your essay. There is going to be a part for additional information you want to include, and many things that is general information about you, information about your family, where your parents studied, and different kinds of things. And then there's going to be your colleges section, which is the part where you're going to fill out questions specific to each college. So for example, you will choose whether you're applying on a regular deadline or early deadline, if you're applying to a specific major, if there are any supplemental essays for this college. So this is the section where you're going to find uh, all of these questions that will be sent to specific schools. And so this is the form you need to fill out. And now Mariana is going to talk a little bit more about the activity section in the common app. Okay, yeah, so like Matcha said, the activity section is really an amazing opportunity for the university to get to know you. So you have a space for 10 different activities that you did throughout your four years of high school. What I would recommend is, for example, to write things that you were really passionate about and something that you really achieved uh, recognition in or a leadership position. The universities are really interested in having future leaders in their campus. So if you had, if you had uh, a leadership position in a club, then you should include that. Whereas if you participated in a club, and you didn't have as much recognition while that is important, I would suggest that you include mostly, I'm not saying that you shouldn't include it, but I'm saying mostly 
things that you excel at so that the university can see you at your highest because as we have said we have said before you are selling yourself to the university another thing that i would recommend is that don't just do activities because you would think that they would look good in your application so let's say that you do volunteering at a school but it wasn't something that you were really passionate about and you just did it because you wanted to put it in your application Is that really how you're going to sell yourself with an activity that, for example, they asked you about and you just said, yeah, I went to a school for like an hour. You know, you really have to think about things that are important and that you were passionate at, you excelled at, etc. Another thing that I think is important and it's a part of the Common App is that you have to uh, not necessarily rank, but put your activities in order. So what I did was when I had leadership positions in a specific club, for example, like the Model United Nations, I was I was sure to put that one first. And then later on, like on eight or nine, other activities that I did that I think are, are important and I'm passionate about, but I really wasn't like really excelling as much as I did in other ones. So as I said, you have space for 10 activities, So really think of what you're going to put there. Make sure that you're passionate about it. Another thing that I noticed that was helpful is, like I said, to make a list and then try to think, okay, what, are, what was something that really impacted me as a person? So you can put that first or in the top of your activities list. And then the ones that you think, okay, this is an activity that I really liked, but it wasn't the top, then you don't put that At first, you put it like in the middle or at the bottom of your activities list. Uh, lastly, I would say again to really think what has impacted you because another way uh, to really show the impact of these activities would be through your essays that we talked about last episode. So I have found that it has been way easier for me to write essays about something that I did and tell a story through the different activities that I did throughout my four years of high school. So I would say that if you feel like you had an activity that you had fun in, but it wasn't necessarily something that impacted you or helped you understand what you want to do with your life or whatever, then don't necessarily put that in your, in your activities list. Rather, maybe put it somewhere else or you can bring it up in an interview if you have one because the activity section of the Common App is really uh, helpful for admissions officers so that they can understand also what type of person you are and how involved you are in the community. Because as they want leaders, they also want people who will be involved in campus. They want someone they can remember. So really think about that and how you want to sell yourself to your, the university that you want to apply to. Yeah, so I think that the activity section is very tricky because it has it's very limited. You only have a hundred characters to to talk about the activity itself in the organization you you you're a part of, and then you have a hundred and fifty characters to explain more of like your role within the organization or to give the description, and then you have just like fifty characters to give your leadership position. So what I would suggest is to try to explain very in a very concise way what the organization is 
and not in the description section. You should describe this in the name of the organization. So for example, if I, I did the Flow program, which was something we created. So I would say Flow, and within the parentheses in the name of the organization, I would explain what that was so that I wouldn't have to spend all the characters I have in the description section talking about the organization itself. Instead, I would focus on what I did within that organization. That way you can show colleges the role you had in this organization. And I also would say that don't stress out if you do not have the 10, uh, the 10 activities because colleges are not necessarily looking for well-rounded people. I think this is a very common misconception that they people think that the people colleges accept are people who are good at everything, but that's not necessarily it. They're actually looking for a well-rounded class. So they want people who excel at one thing and people who excel at different things to put together and form a well-rounded class where you have people with different strengths and different weaknesses and they all complement each other to create a well-rounded class. So don't worry, you cannot fill out the 10 spots, try to include as much as you can, but if you cannot fill out, don't worry. And just try to focus on the things that you're genuinely excited about and you're genuinely passion passionate about and show this passion through your activities and through your descriptions and through your essays. And also, there are many people who cannot engage in as many activities as others because they have other responsibilities like maybe they need to work to provide for their families or they have they have they need to take care of their siblings and other kinds of stuff and these are things that you can actually include in your common application there is when you in, you add an activity to the common app it will ask you what kind of activity uh, it is. So you can actually choose if it is a work and a job and it's paid or if it's a family responsibility. So you can actually talk about the fact that you had to come home from school and take care of your siblings. So you could not engage in maybe go become a part of a sports team or become a part of another kind of activity because you had that responsibility. So these are things you can let the colleges know so that they know that you, uh, why you didn't participate in as many activities. And they, this will actually help them get to know you better and know how that you're family oriented and that you're a responsible person and you take responsibility for everything that you do. So try to really portray what you actually do and not, as Marisol said, include things that don't actually include things that don't actually uh, that you didn't actually do or that aren't as important for you. Another thing, another quick thing before we continue is that I remember when I was starting the process that I was scared that because my activities had nothing to do with the intended major that I want to apply to, were going to harm my application in any way. And I realized while talking to different uh, admission officers in different schools uh, that many people arrive at the universities and don't necessarily know what they're going to major in. Well, it, while it is an advantage for you to know what you want to major in, you don't have to know. So universities don't expect you to have the answer for everything or to have your life completely planned out because as I said last episode, uh, you are a teenager. You're 17 or 18 years old, you're not supposed to have your life completely figured out. So if you have activities that really don't have anything to do with your major, for example, the activities that I did throughout high school are not science oriented and my, my intended major is neuroscience. It won't harm my application in any way because it wasn't until last year that I realized that I wanted to study this. 
So don't be scared or don't be discouraged if you find that you didn't participate in, I don't know, some type of Olympics. Uh, or maybe if you even didn't take honor courses in this type of, of field because you're not supposed to know necessarily what you're going to major in. I think it's important also with the activities to know that during these times, it's pretty difficult to find different extracurricular activities to do. And I mean, with, with the COVID pandemic and the circumstances we are right now living through, that, of course, you know, the, the pandemic has been a whole year. So we've been through. So, I mean, us, the ones who are applying right now to college, we've been affected, but also the people that are right now in their junior year are also affected. And the people who are in their sophomore and freshman years, everyone is being affected. So I want you to know that universities know this and they are going to expect perhaps for some applications for the next years, maybe to be a little, to be lacking a bit on the most, on the more traditional activities on that section. What is important is for you to see, and that's, uh, I've heard a lot of podcasts from different universities that they say that they value a lot, that you, during these trying times, that you find something to do, like act activities-wise. Like, for example, in my case, I found the ability to create a podcast, and I've, I've, I've been working with Mariana and Macha and Hime, and we developed a podcast, and that was a great way to still be participating in extra extracurricular activities without being without needing to go to school and you know without it being a traditional activity so with the coronavirus context is it is important for you to know that the universities know what we've all been through and they are going to consider that and in i think it's important to see this as an opportunity to maybe create a new activity, create a new program that you can do from home. You know, it's actually, see it as an opportunity instead of just an obstacle to have 10 activities. Again, if you don't have 10 activities, it's not that bad. Just be sure to make your activities excel to the admission officer. Something else that's important to point out is that at the end of each activity, you are going to find a question that says, would you like to pursue a similar activity when you are in college? And it is important to know that you do not need to check the yes box for each one of, of your activities. Really be honest. It, admissions officers do not expect you to participate in every single activity you participated throughout high school in, in their schools again. So yes, you should say that you want to pursue a similar activity for some of your activities. However, if there are activities you mark no, it's completely fine. You do not need to pursue each and every one of the activities once again. And I think that with these, on that note, we end this section of the episode. And now we're going to move on to the recommenders part of the Common App. So maybe Ale, you can talk about that. Yeah. So to apply to many universities, you are required to submit letters of recommendations from your teachers and the school's counselor. And in some universities, it's optional. However, I believe that you should always, like if you have the option of submitting the letter of recommendation, I definitely recommend this because I believe these letters of recommendation are extremely important for the admissions officers because through these letters, 
they are like they are able to see how are you as a person but also as a student like what do you do in class or how have you grown through the years and I think there the the teacher's point of view of the students is a very important thing in your application so since these letters of recommendations are like so important for your application I think it's essential to choose the teachers for your recommendation wisely. So uh, you, when you are going to choose a teacher, you should definitely focus on like the degree you want to study. For example, if you want to be an engineer, it is like better if you have a physics teacher and a math teacher, or if you were looking to pursue something in, I don't know, literature, so you should ask your literature teacher. However, I also believe that if you are going for, like if you want to study engineering, but you don't really get along with your math teacher or do your math teacher doesn't really know you, I think it's also extremely important to choose a teacher who really knows you. Because at the end of the day, if your math teacher doesn't know much about you, the the recommendation letter is going to be really general and it could be like whoever's name could be in the in the top of the of the letter as like with the supplemental essays that it has to be specific for the university in the case of the recommendation letters i believe that your recommendation should be specifically for you and that if you change the name at the top of the letter it it shouldn't like make sense so when you choose someone, make sure to choose someone who knows you, who maybe can tell like stories about you or have seen you grown and can really explain to these admissions officers, like can really explain to these admissions officers who you are and what kind of student you are. And also, Another thing you should take into consideration when you are choosing your recommender, your recommender is that you should choose someone who you trust. Because when you are going to, to send these recommendation letters, you have to waive all your rights to see these recommendations. You are not allowed to, to read your letters. And maybe if, like, if the teacher gives you the letter, and you read it at the end when they send it, they could have changed it or anything. So I think it's it's real important to choose someone you trust who you know is gonna make a good recommendation and that's gonna be genuine about you because if the teacher gives a, a bad recommendation, this can really harm your application. And some advice for choosing your like the, the teacher to make your recommendation is it for me I believe that you should try to not have the same teacher as other as, as other classmates who may be also asking for a recommendation because if you ask a teacher who already has like three other recommendations to write maybe he's got a he or she is going to write the recommendation like maybe very generic or general and and I don't know they like they can rush into writing it since they have a lot of recommendations 
However, if you ask the teacher who doesn't have any other recommendation and it's just you, so they can have a lot more time to think about it and reflect on it and write like something more personal to you and a better recommendation. So I think that if you are choosing between two teachers and maybe one of this has a lot of recommendations letters, you should definitely go for the teacher who doesn't have a little recommendation letters to write. Yeah, I think it's that's a very complete information about what recommender what recommendation letters are, their importance, and also how to to choose, you know, who who to ask for. I think that my advice before moving into the next section would be for recommenders. I think it's very important for everyone if you are thinking about going about studying abroad, but not only in that case, you know, in any case, I think it is important for you to build good relationships with your professors. You never know if you're going to need a recommendation letter from them. But even, even if you want a recommendation letter or not, it's important for you to have good relationships with your professors. So I think that's very important. From seventh grade until 11th grade, it's important for you to build relationships, you know, talk to professors, let them get to know you. I think that's a very important and very, very rewarding option. And the other thing I was going to say is that it, when you ask for a recommendation letter, I think it, it would be a great it is a great opportunity for you to express to that teacher why you are picking them for the recommendation letter. I think that is extremely extremely important because then you can make the personal the the, the letter of recommendation more personal. So in the message you send them, you know, the email you tell not only tell them, hey, I would like a recommendation letter. And that's it. No, try to tell them why you're asking them, you know, tell them, hey, we've been together since eighth grade. And I believe that you're a you have you have been a great uh, a, an incredible part of my high school life. And you have given and I've learned a lot from you, stuff like that. You know, tell let the professor know why you're asking them and why you think that they would have something nice to say about you. I think that's very important. And yeah, I think that that is very good advice on how to pick recommenders. I don't know if anyone has anything else to say before moving to the next section. Yes, I just wanted to add, uh, I was listening to a podcast by admissions officers who talk about advice for the recommenders who write the letters. And first off to the recommenders, for, remember to thank them because they are taking out the time to write a, le a letter for you. But, and yes, so be sure to thank them. And also as advice for them, I would recommend based on what I heard on the podcast that first off, remember that's not a curriculum. You, your student has already turned in all of their activities. They have told the school what they do. You do not need to repeat every single activity they have been a part of. Instead, try to present and try to explain how they are as a student inside your classroom. Another thing I would recommend is to be very specific. Try to talk about maybe specific story stories of your students, specific uh, maybe projects they have done that have impressed you or that have shown, showed their abilities. So try to be very specific. Uh, try to be able to write a letter that if you change the name of the student you're writing it for, then it would not make sense because it's so specific to a, to a certain student that it really shows who they are and it will really show schools who your student is. And the third piece of advice I would give that this really called my attention when I was listening to the podcast and it was that the admissions officer said that you should write it in first person. 
not in third person. Many people think that when they write a recommendation letter, they should talk about the student and she does this and he does that and they, he or she is an amazing student. But instead, you should, you should try to focus on how that student, your percept, your perception of that student, how you see that student, and maybe try to include, um, I was impacted by the student in so-and-so and so way. And the student may be, made me a better teacher because they forced me to research on a certain topic I wasn't familiar with, but they really knew about. Or that sort of thing really shows how the student engages in the class and also the impact the student has on teachers. So try to talk about your relationship specifically with the student, how he or she behaves in the class. And don't be so generic. Don't try to just uh, insert a million adjectives that describe the perfect student because that would be very generic. And the admissions officer in the podcast described it as pretty much reading thank you cards in the supermarket. Like they're super general. So try to be very specific, write about stories and specific things about the student and how that student has impacted you and the impact that student has in the class, how he or she engages with her peers. And yes, so really be specific and try to talk about stories and things and ways the student has impacted you. So yeah, now we will be, we'll be moving on to the, our last section of this episode, and that is talking about the other application you will most likely will be uh, having to make before applying to college, and that is a financial aid application. Now, just as for the normal college application, there is one like general application website you can fill out, that is the Common App or the Coalition App. There is also a general application for financial aid for international students specifically. And it is called the CSS Profile. It is a, a service from the company College Board. That's the same company that uh, manages the SATs, also the AP classes and a lot of other stuffs. And they're also the ones from Big Future. So yeah, we all four of us completed the CSS Profile. It is usually the one that universities ask for. Now, when you go to the websites of the, the universities and look for the requirements for a financial aid application, you will see that they say to please fill the FAFSA uh, application, something like that. But just for you to know, the FAFSA is only for United States citizens. So if you're not a United States citizen, you will probably need to fill the CSS profile. Now, the CSS profile is pretty complicated and it's pretty complicated to explain at the moment of just filling it in if you know what they're asking and you have you all of the numbers there with you it's pretty straightforward to fill but to explain it's pretty complicated so what we're going to do is in the description of this podcast we're going to leave you a video from the education usa program education usa i think we've mentioned them before It's a program from the United States uh, State Department that they help a lot of students, international students, to apply to universities in the United States. So uh, we will leave you that video. It, it is important for you as a student to know what the CSS profile is, but I think that is much more important for your parents to know what it is. In general terms, the CSS profile will ask you what your assets are, what your income is, and also what your expenses are. They will ask you to project for this year. And there are a lot of other financial questions that they will ask you. Now, why is it necessary to fill the CSS profile? 
a lot of universities, as we said, offer financial need-based financial aid. That means that they will focus on what your need will be, and on that, on that, on those terms, they will uh, accept you or not. Or if they are need-blind, on those terms, they will determine what amount of money they will give you. So the CSS profile is one of the different ways a university will actually know. Okay, what is the amount of money that Roy needs to attend this university? So in the CSS profile. One of the most important things is to be very honest and present the numbers as they are. You even have a section to fill out like uh, in writing to explain some things that you might want to explain. For example, with the COVID-19 pandemic, it is pretty, it's pretty common for households uh, income to go down in 2020 compared to previous years. So there's a space to fill out why that happened. And there are a lot of different opportunities for you to explain what is your financial situation. And this will help the university determine, determine what is the financial aid you need. So when you go to a university and that university says, we give 100% of demonstrated need, that means that and it has some caveats, but in general terms, it means that when they look at your financial aid application, in our case, the CSS profile, they say, okay, Roy's family, we, we think can give around $20,000. So we, the financial aid package we will offer Roy is of $60,000 in order for him to attend our school. And then, and if that number is not good for your family, you can appeal. And there is a process there, but in general terms, that's what it is. The CSS profile is one of the ways a university can know what your financial situation is and what help, financial help you will need to attend that university. And something else that's important to point out is the kind of financial aid you will receive because you can receive grants and loans. Grants are the money that the school will give you to study at their institution, but they can also give you loans, meaning you will eventually have to pay the school back or whoever is giving you the loan back uh, for the money for the money they gave you. So that's important to point to take into account, but that you will know what kind of financial aid they will be giving you once you get their their decision. So when you get your decision of whether you got into the school or not, you will also get your financial aid package and they will say specifically how much money you get. And another important thing to keep in mind is that United in universities of the United States have financial aid and most of it will be direct directed towards US citizens because they are US institutions. So many of them have very limited financial aid for for international students. So that's why I, I would encourage you to not only apply for school, schools that offer need-based financial aid, but also to schools that offer merit-based financial aid, which we already talked about, but basically they are, those are the scholarships they give you because of your academic or other kinds of achievements, such as in sports. And you need to really research about all the scholarships that they offer, whether they are available or not for international students, and if they have any specific requirements, for example, applying early, or others have specific applications, such as Case Western University, they have a specific application for merit-based scholarships. So really take that into account and try to apply to a huge variety of schools, not only schools that offer need-based financial aid. And also we do some research on the kinds of agreements that exist 
between Costa Rica and some parts of the US, because for example, in Florida, you pay in-state tuition, the same for Kansas, and there are other places who have similar agreements, or you can even get uh, scholarships or grants from people or from entities in Costa Rica. So some of them have specific uh, like requirements or agreements you need to, or things you need to agree to when you get these grants from institutions in Costa Rica, but I know they exist. I have, I don't know much about this because I didn't uh, look for grants for like nationally, but I know they exist. So if you need a huge amount of money to be able to pay for school, I would encourage you to try to do some research about this topic and try to find other ways to get your financial aid aside from need-based aid from different universities, because as international students, it is hard for us to get the money we need from, from grants from a specific institution. It's also very important for you to, when thinking about financial aid, not only to know what financial aid you're looking for, if you're looking for need-based financial aid or if you're looking for merit-based financial aid, but also to really understand what your the universities you're applying to, what their policies are. For example, Macha said that uh, some financial aid packages include loans. So yeah, some universities might tell you, hey, we will give you $60,000 but $40,000 of those are going to come from loans that you will have to repay after a certain amount of time, and the rest is going to be from the university as grants. So it is important for you to know that. But there are other universities that do not have those policies. For example, Princeton, Princeton University is one of the, you know, the colleges that we mentioned before because they are need blind for their admissions. And also, they have a policy of only grant-based financial aid. So they do not give any loans. So they, they are very proud of it. And if you go to their website, you will see that they mention it all over the website that you won't, I don't know, it is like, I think 80 or 90% of our students graduate loan-free. You know, they, they, they tend to say that a lot. So it's important for you to know the universities you're applying to, what their financial aid policy is. Because also, it's not only the CSS profile that you will have to fill out. A lot of universities have a supplemental financial aid application. For example, for the University of Pennsylvania, they have a supplemental financial aid application. It's called the PFAS. And there you need to fill it out. It's pretty similar to what the CSS profile asks for. They usually, they usually ask you, because for example, the, the University of Miami also has a supplement for financial aid. What they ask you usually is like, okay, for the four years of your education in our university, uh, just write what your family, what you, what donors, whatever, what you can contribute. So you would put, I don't know, if your family can pay $25,000 each year, then you would put family $25,000 and that's it. They're usually pretty similar, but do remember that because for some universities, it is not enough just with the CSS profile. It'll, you will also need to fill a supplement. and. Another really important thing is that the CSS profile, once you fill it out, they will guide you to a portal. Now, a portal is a place in the, in the internet when you can upload documents securely. And the IDOC portal, that's how, you, that's how it's called, IDOC, the IDOC portal, is where universities will ask you, okay, so apart from the CSS profile, we will need you to send your tax returns, for example, that for Costa Rica, it would be something like a report from Hacienda or uh, a letter from the employer, something like that, you know, and they will ask you, we need these documents. So you upload them in the IDOC. So pro tip, 
be sure to complete the CSS profile, like, I don't know, a week before your actual deadline, like financial aid deadline, because after you submit the CSS profile, you will have access to the portal. And depending on what universities you're going to apply on, they are going to tell you, okay, we need these documents and these documents and these documents. So you need time to gather all of that information. So that is a very good tip. The CSS profile, another... it's a very important task. It's long, but do remember to fill it out with time because then you will need to look for all of those extra documents. And another important thing to look for is uh, the policy of each university and how they will determine how much money you need because as we already mentioned they promise to fit to meet your demonstrated need so meaning the how much money you demonstrate you need and the way they define the 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 amount of money you actually need may vary from school to school for example some of them may evaluate each applicant and determine how much money each applicant needs while others have a more general approach for example there are certain schools that say if your family's income is less than $65,000 a year, then your family's contribution will be expected to be $0 a year. And if your family has an income from these, from a certain amount to another certain amount, then your, your family's contribution should be X amount a year. So they will determine like on a range of the amount of the, your family's income and this way they will decide how much money your family should pay a year. And it is also they also take into consideration other things such as, for example, if you have siblings who are attending college at the same time, or if you have um, like all of the, your family's expenses will also be taken into account. And another important thing to point out is that the financial aid should be renewed every year. So each year you should present your family's income and all your financial information so that the institution has an idea of how much money you can actually pay. So once again, uh, your first year you will apply and they will give you your financial aid package. And the second year you might be, you will also need to apply and show once again your family's income to decide if you still need that amount of money or if you need more or less or it depends. So you will also need to renew your financial aid package. And another thing that's also important is that some schools say that even though your family's income might be less than a certain amount and therefore their contribution is expected to be $0 a year, you are still as a student uh, supposed to work and help to pay for your education. So as international students, we cannot work. What we get when we go study abroad is an F1 visa, which is a student visa. And that doesn't allow us to work in, like in specific companies in the US. However, we are able to work within the university. So you can work at the library, at the gym, or at many other parts of the university. And there you will get paid. And you, if you get a certain amount, on financial aid, you will be expected to work to get enough money to fill the rest of the of the of what you're supposed or what you're required to pay for college. So schools actually expect you to get a job and expect you to help pay for your education and not rely entirely on financial aid or entirely on your family's income and their contribution. Yeah. So if you if you would like take some general conclusions of this episode is that I'll tell them to you right now. 
it is important for you to understand that if your family cannot pay the entire amount of the tuition and the room expenses and the food, you know, the total cost of attending a university abroad, if your family cannot do that, then you will be filling out two applications. Do not take this lightly. They are very long. You know, you have your application for the university and that includes all that we have talked about, you know, the tests, the essays, your activities, everything. That's your application to the university, but you will also need to fill out in a financial aid application. So you will be, as an international student who needs financial aid, you will have like double the amount of work that someone from the U.S. who can afford uh, will have to. So understand that because that means that the process is going to be long. The process is going to take time. So prepare for that. If you are listening right now and you're at the end of your junior year or maybe you are at your sophomore year and you're listening to this, understand that the process is pretty long and the sooner you start, the better. You know, if you need to start, okay, if you are, let's say you're a freshman year or a sophomore year, okay, concentrate on your grades. Maybe if you have the opportunity to take greater courses, like courses that are especially academically demanding, maybe you take them, you know, start to plan ahead. And if you are in junior year, I think it's very important to take into account all of the different things that you need to do. The tests, the universities, the, you know, the university search. And also, I think that the other conclusion that you should take from this episode is that the application process is very about yourself. It's yours, you know, and the application to the university is definitely yours with help with from the school and from everything. But the application for financial aid, that's as much you as your family. So it is important that your parents know what you're doing. If you're going to apply to, univer to universities abroad, you need to sit down with them and talk, okay, I would like to do this. Am I, we will, we, 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 are we able to do that? Are we able, how much are we able to pay? Because the financial aid application requires a lot of information that only your parents have and requires a lot of documents that only your parents can ask for. So it is important for your parents and you to be on the same page. I cannot stress this enough. Your parents and you throughout the application process need to be on the same page and need to be on, on understanding what you want. You cannot, you have to be very careful because sometimes you want something or you believe your family can afford something and then you realize you don't. So it is important to sit down with your family and say, hey, maybe I would like to study abroad. What do you think? And have that conversation because that will make the process just extremely easier and it's going to be more straightforward. So I think that is a very, very important aspect for your application process. Yes, and overall, I just want to say that we covered most of what the application to universities in the U.S. entailed in the past three episodes, and it may sound overwhelming. I know it's a lot of information. It sounds like a very long process, and it is a very long and kind of tedious process, but don't be discouraged and don't be afraid to start after you are able to send your first applications. The other ones are a lot easy, easier because you already have the information and most of the the documents written and the forms filled so they're a lot easier so just the part of getting started is what's gonna uh, be the hardest part so don't be discouraged there are many opportunities out there don't be don't close your mind to a certain university or to a certain country have an open mind approach approach the process with an open mind and just try to Put your best foot forward when doing the filling out the application. Don't procrastinate and start. Try to start early, 
and just always do your best and don't be afraid to get started don't close don't close yourself doors and opportunities because you're afraid to start something just go ahead and do it and the worst thing that can happen if it is if they say no so it's better to try than to not even have an idea if you could have made it yeah so this is our last episode i hope you enjoyed it it is a lot of information and as much as that it can be overwhelming so if you have any questions at all you can message us matcha mari alexandra or me any one of us you can ask you know we have other uh, classmates that are also applying abroad so you can ask them you can contact a, our counselor teacher sergio he has been working with us so he actually has learned a lot and he knows a lot about this process And also you can speak with teacher Ivania Berenes. She also has a lot of experience with this. There are a lot of teachers in our school that know what this is and may be able to answer some of your questions. So don't be shy to ask. It is important for you to have all of the information available in order for you to make the best decisions for this. And if you're thinking about studying abroad, know that you are already doing so much more than a lot of people. You know, you're thinking about your future and you're actually thinking how you can make your future full of opportunities and with a better a better education and everything. So it is great that you're thinking and about this and it is great that you're actually taking your time to understand the process before getting into it and to actually do everything as good as you can so your chances to get into one of these prestigious colleges uh, increase. So yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I hope we we were of help. Uh, we are just remember that we are applying also. So this was from our experience. I'm sure that a lot of people who have already gone through the process or counselors will have more information or details that we probably didn't even know about. So do take that into consideration when, when listening to these episodes. We are applying so we can share our experience. But I think it is pretty valuable because the process we are going through right now will be the process you will go through in the future so yeah thank you so much for listening and again if you have any questions do not be shy and contact us because we are here to help thank you so much <laughs>